perspective on life. You can only be perspective, but when you get into the Word of God, it enhances your perspective on life. Since God enables us to be able to see a snippet of what He sees. I said a snippet. You know what's amazing about God? Is that when we look at life, we look at it from a temporal standpoint. We look at it based upon the here and now and the current situation that we're in. But what's awesome about God is that he looks at it from an eternal perspective. So that means from the very beginning to the very end. But here's what's marvelous about that. God has no beginning. And eternity has no ending. God has no ending. So what is it that he sees? Can you imagine that kind of perspective on life? And even in that, he still sees every minute detail. Those of you who know about, you know, multitasking, if you like me, I'm not very good at multitasking. Scientifically, they have done some research to prove that really you're not as good at multitasking as you might think you are because you're not designed that way. But. To know that God can see everything and not miss a beat and not miss a detail, that's mind-blowing. But that's the God that we serve, amen? So we've been talking about the power of Christian witnessing, and we talked a little bit about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a witness, and then we started trying to bring that together so you understand what it means to be a Christian Witness by definition, according to the word of God. Amen. So we kind of walked through that already, right? So can somebody tell me what you've gotten out of the last two weeks that we've talked? Because we already did a review two weeks ago. So what have you gotten out of the last two weeks that we've been over, going over, the lessons that we've gone over? Say again. Only see through your perspective. All right. Anybody else? What I got out of it is being a witness is um, being a Christian, acting and dressing and presenting yourself as a Christian person. Spirit been speaking to somebody. All right. Being a light. I don't even know if I said all that. So praise God. (laughs) Anybody else? Oh, I heard a voice back here. Yes, sir. Well, the most effective witness is personal knowledge and experience. Through that, that we are the most effective witness. Oh, come on now. It's hard to witness to somebody about something that you don't know about or you haven't experienced, right? You got a lot of folks trying to do that. But you can't be an effective Christian witness if you don't know anything about it. 
So to know, that means you have to do what? Even if you haven't experienced, what can you do to gain knowledge? Read, right? You know, we take the time in our world today, we take the time to research any and everything else, right? Go to school for 12 years and you say, here's a diploma. You made it. You learned how to read. You learned how to do math, right? You even did a couple of reports, did some research. Then if you really want to take it further, you go to college, right? They tell you to do some more research, some more writing, some more math, right? Math is nothing like it was in grade school. You're doing reports, on math, right? It's all research, right? So then why not apply the same concept to the Word of God? Did you know that even if you don't understand every letter of the Scripture, just by virtue of you taking the time to indulge in the Word of God, guess what? The Bible says you draw not to Him... So what does that mean? If we lack understanding, understanding comes from who? God. Man cannot impart understanding to another person. I can only share with you what I have learned and what I have gained. But at the end of the day, in order for you to get true understanding, it has to come from God. All right, so we're going to be talking about... Uh, We're going to continue our theme here, but we're going to talk about being a little bit more about being an effective Christian witness. One of the points, there's going to be three points that we talk about today. Hopefully we get through all three of them. But the first one that I want to focus on is the architecture. Just a little bit about the architecture. And I'll tell you what I mean in just a moment. I'm waiting for my notes to come up here so I can continue on. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I do want to go back to that, though, because that is our writing theme for this whole lesson. What does it say? And ye shall receive, but ye shall receive after. Without the Holy Ghost, you have no. And without power, you cannot be. Look at that. So we got to have power, right? Guess what? The things that we are up against today, I can assure you that if you have no power, you're not going to have any impact. Thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. So, the development of a Christian witness starting with the architecture, specifically focusing on the temple. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. Everybody have it? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God is, dwelleth in you we all know that the holy ghost is god 
The Holy Spirit is God himself. Amen. We already talked about all that. It's not a separate person. It is one and the same. All right. Know ye that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. In the Old Testament, a man named Solomon built or was responsible for overseeing the development of the greatest architectural structures revered by the Jews. That was known as the first temple. Okay. And it was beautiful. It was a sacred building dedicated to God and was recognized as the central place of worship. Recognize as what? Okay, I'm just making sure everybody with me now. It's recognized as what? That was his desire. Actually, that was David's desire, his dad. He wanted to build the temple. God said, nope, I'm not going to let you build it. You've been out there fighting battles and, you know, you got blood on your hands, so I can't have defiled hands, you know, that's been killing. I can't have that construct my temple. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to let your seed do it. So Solomon, and we, you know, if you know how Solomon came about, it's kind of interesting how the story unfolds. If nothing else shows you the grace and mercy of God. But he allowed Solomon to oversee this and all the arrangements that happened. Solomon, he was a wise king. He knew where to get his resources and he made, you know, agreements and pacts to make sure that, you know, he was able to pull those resources in and even get some laborers. I think it was 150,000, they said, of borrowed people, visitors, foreigners that were there helping to build God's temple. In this passage of scripture that we just read, Paul informs us that the body of every born again believer is a what? A temple, a temple of not just any temple. Temple of God, right? Therefore, worship begins with us. That's why we're emphasizing certain words here, because, you know, you talk about worship, it begins with us. Remember what we said before about, you know, I'm quick to hand out flyers and, you know, once you come to my church and hear my pastor preach and, you know, once you come around to my, my Bible study at church, but where are you at? What do you have to offer? Why do they have to come to your church? Why do they have to wait? They may not even have an opportunity to get to, get to the church. But at the end of the day, worship starts with who? Us. Thank God for a building and the liberty to be able to express our worship to God in America because there's a lot of places you can't do that. But it doesn't just stay within the four walls of this building. We take it with us. So that means worship should be in our homes. Worship should be on our jobs. Worship should be in Walmart when we walking down the aisles. Because if we're truly worshiping, we find ourselves getting less irate when people rub us the wrong way. Worship is with us in our cars when we're driving down the road and people cut us off. 
Or maybe you got folks that's behind you that's riding on your bumper. Like you going slow. You just trying to go to speed limit. <laughs> Worship is with you. It should be. Worship starts with us. It is vitally important that we recognize that just like the temple of Solomon was considered to be sacred, the living temples of our bodies should be treated as just as sacred. As temples, everywhere we go, we carry the presence of God with us. So I wonder... For all of us who proclaim to be followers of Christ, who claim to have God's presence in us, what view does the world have of God in us? Sometimes I like to use the analogy of a window. And your life, my life, is a window, right? So then naturally when you look through a window... You're able to see what's on the other side. But if the window becomes foggy, if it starts accumulating dust and dirt and debris, cobwebs, and all these other things that accumulate, it becomes a lot more difficult to see through that window, which means that the image on the other side becomes harder to recognize. So if our lives are a resemblance of that window, then the question again is, what view do they have of God through us? Is the window clean? Or is it dirty? Is it accumulating some dirt? We got some stuff building up. That's a question you have to ask yourself. That's why the Bible encourages us to examine ourselves. You got to know. And you know what? You're not just examining yourself based upon your own intellect and your own thoughts about what you should be. You compare yourself before the word of God. You stand before the word of God and you see how you measure up. You know what's interesting to me? As Christians... It's easy to say I'm a Christian, but then when we stand before the scriptures, you know, it's, it's easy to cancel out certain things that, you know, we feel like don't apply. Because then that makes us feel better about where we stand. But at the end of the day, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness so if i want to be righteous if i want to be right before god i've got to use all right why is this so foreign to some of the church today why is it so easy to toss out some things just because i don't want to offend nobody if the word of god says it it says it you can feel how you want to feel about it Now, we don't take the word of God to attack anybody. That's not the intent. Well, we ain't going to sugarcoat the word of God just because we're trying to avoid hurting somebody's feelings. Because at the end of the day, it's not your feelings that you're going to be worried about when you're standing before the judgment seat. 
God is not holding me accountable for how I treat your feelings. God is holding me accountable for what I do to help save your soul. Now, if I'm doing it right, naturally, I'm going to have the right approach. Because the spirit don't have the wrong approach. That's how we fix that. What if they come at me the wrong way? Then they need to check their spirit. But the spirit don't is not the author of confusion. Right? Spirit don't deal in hatred. Bitterness, animosity, hostility. <laughs> you ever see them hostile Christians? You better get right. You about to go to hell. Now, this sounds funny, but this happens. People are taking this approach. Like I said before, the world don't need you to remind them that they're going to hell. If that's the only news you got for them, they can tell you, well, surprise, surprise. I already knew that. Tell me something I don't know. Right? Really? You know, doctrine and all that other stuff is not meant for the world. They ain't going to understand. Look at Jesus' example. Every time he taught the disciples, he was teaching them on a spiritual level. But when he talked to the multitudes, he talked to them on a level they could understand. Mostly parables. Things that they could identify with. That's what we need to do to the world. But all of this comes about by making sure that we are the temple that we're supposed to be, that our lives measure up with the word of God to begin with. Because if we're in the word of God, we'll see how to approach people. You know, a lot of people don't recognize in the world that in the New Testament, there's a difference between the Gospels and what happened in Acts and then what everybody, the apostles were saying in the rest of the New Testament. All those letters were written to the churches, people that were already in church. So a lot of things that were said, things like about you shall be saved. That stuff was to the churches, to the people that already had the Holy Ghost. Peter already established in the book of Acts in chapter 2. Verse 38, here's where it all begins for you. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, got to use a name, right? For the remission of sins, and ye shall receive. Okay, all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. First Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says this more than once because he wants us to understand just how important we are to the Lord as being temples, his dwelling place. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is around you? which has made you feel good and gave you some goosebumps. He says, which is in you, which ye have of who? But look at this next part. And ye are not your own. 
Ah, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. This scripture right here should emphasize just how God feels. He says, you're not your own. Now, so many folks are living to themselves and expect for God to be pleased with everything that they have to present to him. What did Romans 12 and 1 say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, right, a living sacrifice. What's that next word? Holy. You mean that, that, that holiness church down there at the street? Yeah, I know them. What's talking about holy? What you mean holy? Oh, you're talking about all the standards. No, holy is being separated from the world, separated from sin and unto God. That's what holiness is. It's not just about the way you dress. Oh, it impacts. Because if you're holy, you ain't going to be looking any old kind of way. I didn't get too many amens on that, but that's all right. It's the truth. Holy and acceptable. We've seen this verse many times. So why are folks still trying to dib and dab and mix and match? You ever heard them them statements? Well, you know, I I do this because I don't don't feel like, you know, it's anything wrong with, with doing this. Can I ask you something? You think it's going to matter what you feel like when God says, depart from me. I never knew you. Brothers and sisters, that's really what it's going to come down to at the end of the day. That's what it's going to come down to. You know, what the scripture says only what you do for Christ will last. If you're doing it to please yourself, Jesus already told us you got to do what? Deny yourself. If you're going to come after me, you got to do what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Nobody want to bear that cross. It's heavy. <laughs> okay, I heard y'all. Put it on wheels. Yeah. That's what he, is that what he meant when he said, I'll make your burdens light? <laughs> Some of us carry around them small little crosses. <laughs> All right. Holy and acceptable unto God. And this is the least that you can do. Your reasonable service. You don't belong to yourself. You have been purchased. There's not one individual that has ever existed that can say that they have given their lives for the sake of the whole world. Only one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his life for the sins of the whole world. You are a temple. Now, if everybody looks at this building on the outside, it's easy to determine that this is a church. And then, of course, when you see the sign on the front of it, it says Calvary Apostolic 
church? Anybody excited about that? Come on, y'all. This is Calvary Apostolic Church. Y'all excited about that? This is where we go. That's. I'm sorry, but maybe some people don't get excited when they come to visit because we ain't excited in here like we should be. I'm sorry, Pastor. I just wanted to throw that out there. We hear sing about the goodness of God. We ought to be excited about who we're singing about. All right. I don't want to get in trouble. Let's talk about the sanctuary. I'm not trying to be ugly, y'all. Y'all, y'all should know me by now. This ain't about being ugly. Amen. But God, you know, there's some things that God wants us to understand. If we want to be effective as Christian witnesses, these are things that we have to look at. Amen. So let's talk about the sanctuary. We talked about the temple just a little bit. Let's talk about the sanctuary. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 11. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away. I love these two passages of scripture. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because if you take your spirit from me, if you're not with me, I know that it's going to be easy for me to be destroyed. I have no means of defense without the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, I have no impact and no relevance without the Holy Spirit. I can articulate and give you all the knowledge and, you know, all the theology in the world and, and share all that about the scripture and, you know, how this happened historically. And, you know, you have all these archaeological sites that, you know, that you can look at and excavate and everything else. And you can throw all this fancy stuff out there. But at the end of the day, if it's not the spirit of God, nothing changes. It's not by man's words of wisdom that lives and souls are saved. It's only by the Spirit of God. Thank God for those who have done research and who have studied. You know, that's great to learn about history. It it is. But if you talk about saving souls, you know, you think about it. How often, how much time do you think you'll have with somebody that you run across, you know, you run into on the street? You think you don't have an hour to sit down with them and share all the theological information that you have? Chances are you probably don't. In fact, they probably entertain you for about 30 seconds. And if you haven't said anything that really captures and draws them in, they're not listening anymore. 30 seconds is is not a long time. But it's just the right amount of time to get One point across. And you start talking about the love of God and you start talking about how God loves. I can can guarantee you, most of the people that's out there in the world, they have heart issues. I can speak to their intellect all day long, but 
if I never addressed the matters of the heart, I never gave them. Some folks just need to hear something as simple as God loves you and he cares about you. Jesus gave his life so that you could be saved. And you you start talking about that. You'd be surprised how many people just want to sit down and listen to more of what you have to say. But we're going to talk about that in just a second. So the sanctuary created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit away from me. The sanctuary is considered to be the most sacred place within the temple. In the temple of Solomon, the sanctuary was an area that housed the Ark of the Covenant, the tables of shewbread, the tables of stone given by Moses. It had the Ark of the Covenant. That was the Ark that they carried around, the priests carried around um, before they had a designated place. They had a tent. Um, and they, you know, they said they traveled like nomads. They basically was able to find a spot, set it up, and do what they needed to do. And when it was time to roll out, they pack it on up, and they're ready to roll out. So this was where, this is how the ark moved about. And only designated people could carry the ark, who God designated That area of the sanctuary was the area of the house that housed the Ark of the Covenant, the tables of shoe bread, the tables of stone given by Moses, which we know as the written law. The holies of holies. This is the part of the temple that was unexposed to the public. Even with the doors open, they had the curtains that was blocking the view of what was inside. I kind of look at that as just guarding the inside from contamination from the outside. They even had to wash themselves. The priest that was allowed to go in there had to wash before they went in. Similar to the sanctuary, our hearts should contain the word and the spirit of God. This is the one part of our temple that is most concealed, yet it is the most significant part of the temple. Proverbs 4:23, Solomon says, "Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life." Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately, and that's got to be really wicked. It's not enough to be wicked, but desperately wicked. Who can know it? Wow. Wow. So now, you mean to tell me it's, it's possible for you to deceive yourself? But that's okay. Listen to the world and what they say about follow your heart, believe in yourself, and all that other crazy stuff that people come up with. It's all right. Follow your heart. You go with what makes you feel good. 
You don't have to worry about what nobody else says. If you feel that way, then that's, you know, that's okay. Nobody can change that. Nobody can say that that's wrong. These are comments that are made by the world. But what's really sad is when you have the church embracing that. I told y'all, most of these messages and lessons are geared towards the church. Trust and believe. I'm not even talking about half of the stuff when I'm talking to people that, you know, you ain't even, you haven't been to church. Some folks ain't even picked up a Bible. We got to talk about how to, how to flip through the Bible. But like Paul says, you've been in it for a while. That's the time you got to put up that bottle, stop drinking that milk, and start eating the meat. Maturity, right? Many of the issues we face in our world today stem from the contents of our hearts. The things that fill our hearts become the center of what we worship. So think about that. What fills your heart? What consumes your heart? Because I can guarantee you, if it's something that fills your heart, chances are you pattern your life around what fills your heart. You know, this is this is why, you know, when you're talking about coming to church, nobody should have to beg you to come to church. Right? Nobody should have to beg a child of God to come to church. Because if that's what's in your heart, if God is in your heart, that's the center of I enjoy going and watching my son play football, but I can tell you right now, that's not important. That's not more important to me than my relationship with God. And if I'm going to lift my voice to encourage my son to get a tackle, make a touchdown, whatever the case may be, surely I should have no issues raising my voice for the cause of giving glory and honor to the God that I serve and calling out his name, which is Jesus. Amen? Whatever fills my heart, that's the center of what I worship. Therefore, it's extremely important to allow our hearts to be filled with God's spirit and his word. Luke six forty five. Jesus tells us, he says, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart... I didn't mean to say that. What's in your heart? Sometimes we, you know, you got folks that you may not use profanity, but if you're watching a bunch of stuff and you hanging around a bunch of or listening to a bunch of music that's not conducive, but they got a bunch of profanity in it, you know, some some situations you can't, you really can't help. 
Some environments you in, you can't help. If I asked everybody that I came in contact with to stop cursing around me, you know, I'd lose my breath. <laughs> you know? But there are some situations you can control. Starting in the household. I said it before, I say it again. I'll tell you right now. If there's one video, I don't care how interested I am in that video. If I'm watching the video and that, and I hear one word, I'm not trying to justify. Well, that's not really as bad of a word. I ain't got time for it. I don't have time to subject, subject myself to the rest of this video and question whether or not I'm going to hear something else. As a child of God, I've already got the prompting. Heard one word. Alert, alert. Time to shut it down. Time to move on. So there's been a lot of videos I haven't finished watching just because, oh, man, didn't expect that one. See, that's, that's, the, that's part of the power of having the spirit in you. That extends beyond just being in the church and you just, oh, man, I had a good feeling. I feel good, man. I'm ready to go on. And then you go home. And the environment is not conducive and you have nothing in you, there's not going to be any alerts. You're not going to feel nothing. You know what we call that? We got a nice word for it. It's called convictions. Conviction. Now, I know when you think of the word convict, you think about all the prisoners, but that's not what we're talking about. God prompts us. To stay away from things that are harmful to us. That's what, is, that's what conviction is for. So then the next time we feel the spirit of God prompting us about something that's going on in our lives, that's not the time to try to negotiate with the spirit. Oh, you too spiritual. Really? Last time I checked, the only way to worship God was in spirit and in truth. You have accused me right. <laughs> evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, just the same, bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Ezekiel 11, verses 19 through 20. This is what God said. He said, I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. Hmm. Then we just read what David's request was. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. In other words, I'm going to give them a heart where they can feel after me. The things that I cherish, they'll cherish. The things that I care about, they'll care about. The things that I value, they will value. That they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27. Once again. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, 
And I will give you in heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you, look at that, to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. But it starts with what? A clean heart, right? A new heart. Psalm 119 and 11. I'll just read this one. You can write it down. David says, thy word have I hid in mine heart. I'm sorry. (laughs) That I might not sin against thee. Brothers and sisters, when we are putting the things, again, whatever's in your heart, that becomes a center of worship. That becomes a center of worship. You do understand that that means not just on Sundays and on Wednesdays. You're not just waiting for the pastor to give you a word. You're not waiting for the prophet and the the missionary and the next person to come through and say something that makes you feel good. But at the end of the day, what are you doing to store up within yourself the things of God? Prayer, reading the word of God, studying. Fasting, don't say that word. That don't feel good. But fasting, didn't Jesus say this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting? You do understand that a lot of the things that we are dealing with are spiritual matters. Paul tells us that our warfare is not carnal, right? But it's spiritual. The very nature of the warfare is spiritual. The only way to overcome evil spirits is to make sure that we are filled with the Spirit of God. Ultimately, every born-again believer contributes to the architecture of the church. It is up to us to submit to the right influence in order to bring about the right results. What we allow to influence our hearts will become the center of our worship. But true worship to God, however, should begin with and bring glory to God. Amen? It starts with him and it ends with him. So, speaking of ending, I'm going to end right here, and uh, we will pick up next week, Lord willing. But uh, love y'all. God loves you best. Let's take a break in Jesus' name and get ready for a dynamic service in Jesus' name.